Pop Culture Affidavit presents It Came From Syndication Episode 2 Sitcoms Make it so. We are best girlfriends. Hello and welcome back to Syndication. This is the second episode of It Came From Syndication, a pop culture affidavit miniseries that is brought to you by Two True Freaks. I'm Tom Paneris, and I'm going to spend my time here offering up a retrospective of what you could find on syndicated television in the 1980s and early 1990s. Each episode will focus on a different television genre, and I'll try to give as thorough of a look as possible as to what was on TV then. Last episode, I looked at syndication as a whole and movies. This episode, we're diving into sitcoms. I'm going to give a brief overview of the genre and its effect on syndication, and then I'm going to take a closer look at some syndicated sitcoms that I remember very well, even if I don't remember all of them fondly. Situation comedy is one of the cornerstones of American television programming. This is one that goes back all the way to the early days of television. Jackie Gleason's The Honeymooners, for example, was an early pioneer of the genre, and that show still gets rerun on WPIX. Similarly, other stations will air I Love Lucy reruns from time to time, and that is another seminal show for situation comedy in the United States. And I really did cover how syndication was a source for reruns throughout my childhood and young adult years, back in the last episode, as shows like Happy Days or The Facts of Life followed up cartoons and were yet to be replaced by judge shows, talk shows, celebrity gossip shows, and other shows of the like. But reruns were not the only shows that you saw on a syndicated channel back in the 80s. Some were original programs that you could not see on a network. The problem is that unlike, say, dramas and science fiction, which thrived in syndication and which are the shows that we really do remember very well, sitcoms were not the best quality when they aired in syndication, so they're not all fondly remembered. Before I get to specific shows, I should further define how the genre appeared in syndication, because there really were three types of sitcoms. You would have reboots and revivals, carryovers, and original shows. Reboots and revivals, for instance, are pretty much the same as what we are seeing today, with reboots being shows that updated or provide new versions of older shows, and revivals picking up the actual old shows and continuing the story, usually with the same cast, or at least most of them. There were a few of these in the late 80s and the very early 90s, and I think I remember seeing a few episodes of the all-new Leave it to Beaver or the new Gidget. Uh, the two of these that I remember the most, though, were What's Happening Now and The Munsters Today. 
The Munsters today actually ran for three seasons, from 1988 to 1991, and had 73 episodes in total, which was more than the original series, and the premise was that back in 1966, Grandpa Munster had created a sleeping machine of sorts, and the family was basically frozen, Captain America-style, until the 1980s, including Cousin Marilyn, who was the, quote, normal one. I did a little digging and found clips of the opening credits as well as various episodes. True to form of a hip update for the 1980s, the show had an intro that attempted to be a cooler or more MTV version of the theme song, yet still looked like the old show in some way. Here's the theme song. Now, it seems that most of the episodes that you find on YouTube are broken up into separate clips. Maybe that's a copyright thing, I some, or maybe just some person, whoever took it from a tape or something, could only get it up in 10 or 15-minute clips. I found a 10-minute clip, and I watched that. Uh, it's about a half an episode. Remember, these are half-hour programs, so the average running time is between 22 and 25 minutes if you account for commercials, which would push it to 30. The episode that I watched was called Vampire Pie. The premise was that Herman was baking a pie for some sort of contest and the family was trying it. The laugh tracks seemed to be synced to all of the supernatural sight gags and horror puns. Basically, the Munsters today is a sit typical family sitcom with a fish-out-of-water premise, much like the original show. But as innocuous as it is, it's notable for two things. Uh, first is its cast. John who Star Trek fans know as the Klingon ambassador from Star Trek IV and Star Trek VI, played Herman Munster. Lee Merriweather, yes, Catwoman, played Lily Munster. Howard Morton, who is one of those recurring sitcom character actors in the 70s and 80s, took over Al Lewis's role as Grandpa, although it's kind of funny because Al Lewis probably could have played Grandpa anyway, so maybe there was a contract thing. Jason Marsden, who's done an enormous amount of voice work for both Disney and Warner Brothers, including uh, voicing Snapper Carr on the Justice League cartoon, was Eddie. And uh, Marsden was also another teen actor who made another a number of random appearances on sitcoms in the 80s and 90s. Cousin Marilyn was played by a very um, pretty blonde actress uh, whose name I want to say was like Hilary Van Dyke, or it was it was her last name was like Van Dyke, but she's not related to uh, the famous. Dick Van Dyke uh, or Jerry Van Dyke. So, anyway, um, like I said, the show is it's generic. It's it's basically let's take the monsters and set it in the '80s. And for all I know, they may have recycled bits and plots from old episodes of the old television show. But I do want to say that it's actually a notable television show because it's one of the rare syndicated programs that 
has won an Emmy Award. Now, syndicated scripted programs, I probably should put that qualifier in there because game shows, talk shows, things of that genre, news shows, those win Emmy Awards all the time. Oprah Winfrey, for instance, won many Emmy Awards for her talk show, which was a technically a syndicated talk show. But scripted drama and scripted sitcoms really didn't win Emmys. And uh, The Monsters Today won three. It won three daytime Emmys during its run, two for Outstanding Achievement in Makeup, and one for Outstanding Achievement in Hairstyling. Now, before I talked about The Monsters Today, I also mentioned another revival show, which was called What's Happening Now? And this was an update of the 1970s sitcom What's Happening? And before I get into the new show, I want to spend a few moments talking about the old. So as I have already mentioned, I grew up watching cartoons in the afternoon, as well as reruns of old sitcoms. I think a lot of people in my generation did. Most of these sitcoms were shows that so many of us can say we grew up watching. Gilligan's Island, The Brady Bunch, for instance. And I also watched reruns of shows that were fairly recent, like Different Strokes and The Facts of Life. Now, while those two shows did have black characters, most of the shows I watched were predominantly white, and the premise of those two two shows were very well, for lack of a better phrase, white-based. You know, different strokes in the facts of light didn't really occasionally went into the idea of diversity and things, but for the most part, the the plots, they were very, very safe family sitcom. It could have been a white cast or a black cast. There was nothing really, you know, identifying in terms of, of its, to honor its diversity. What's happening, though, was the first show where I saw black people on TV. Um, predominantly, like, like the whole family. Because remember, Different Strokes had two black kids on the show, but it was like these two black kids being raised by a white family because Mr. Drummond like played Daddy Warbucks to them and stuff. This was a family sitcom starring black people with an entirely black cast. And, um, and, I, and it was really uh, the first show where I saw black people interacting with each other in kind of normal situations. I mean, I may have caught an episode of the Jeffersons or Good Times and things like that prior to seeing what's happening, but what's happening was on every day on Channel 5 uh, when I was in elementary school, and I would catch it after some of the cartoons. And, you know, that was pretty important because I grew up in a predominantly white town, and while I watched Sesame Street when I was very young, and that show's multiple cultural cast was not something I grasped that age. Um, it was important because you think back to what you were exposed to on when you were very, very young, and it was it was just normal that all these people lived on Sesame Street, and they were all different types of people, uh, and they were Muppets. But as I got older, and I grew out of Sesame Street, the shows that I was watching, the cartoons and then the sitcoms, were less and less diverse. And while I would later go on to watch reruns of a number of predominantly black sitcoms like Good Times or The Jeffersons or 227, that would all be dictated by what stations were running what sitcoms at what time. So seeing a number of episodes of what's happening when I was in elementary school was, in retrospect, really important. No, it didn't make me woke in the fourth grade or anything, but I think that there's something to be said about seeing a show that, like that, or seeing diverse casts when you are very young. I mean, it may not register with you at the age of eight or nine, but years later, it does. Now, on to the newer show. And here's the update 
dated theme song for what's happening now. So what's happening now is basically the same idea as the original show set about 10 years later. And most of the original cast did come back, at least for the first season. They kept the premise and setting more or less the same, with Raj and Shirley now being co-owners of the diner from the original show. It didn't win any awards, but it still does get aired and reruns from time to time, mainly because when the producers were putting together uh, another syndication package... They added the 66 episodes of What's Happening Now to the original run of What's Happening. Therefore, you get like this kind of big syndication package that is a continuous series. Another thing of note is some of the other people in the cast. Now, like I said, the original cast did return, although uh, Fred Berry, who played Rerun, left after season one because of a contract dispute. Anne-Marie Johnson, who played Raj's wife, uh, Nadine, she would go on to be on In the Heat of the Night. Uh, she's had a long and successful career as a character actress on television. And in season three, a very young Martin Lawrence joined the cast. He played Maurice. Uh, he's a guy who works in the diner. He's a high school student. And uh, this, I think, is one of his earliest roles and it was about five years before the first season of Martin. So you watch him on the show and he's like a baby. He's like really, really young. So I watched an episode of season three. Uh, Martin Lawrence figures prominently in there. The plot is that Maurice is running for class president uh, at the urging of a girl that he has a thing for. And as his, quote, campaign manager, she proves to be controlling and she drives a wedge between Maurice and his best friend, Daryl. If this sounds like it could have been the premise for an episode of any other sitcom, you're not wrong. Uh, what's Happening Now is not a terrible show. It's not great either. It's the very definition of a show that you watched because it was on and you didn't turn it off because it was just quite awful. And believe it or not, that's kind words for a syndicated sitcom because most of them were really god-awful. Um, most of them had premises that screamed this was rejected by networks for a reason. And I have three of those lined up. Uh, but before I get to original syndicated sitcoms, I have to mention those shows that I say fell into the category of a carryover. This means that they originated on a broadcast network and they were canceled. But then they got a second life in syndication. We'll also see this with the drama category, in which there's a couple of really successful shows, but 
here there are only one or two. First is an odd hybrid uh, network syndication type that was specifically courtesy of NBC. Back in 1987, NBC created five sitcoms for its affiliates called, quote, Primetime Begins at 7.30. The idea was to create a block of weekly sitcoms that would compete against game shows and news and entertainment magazines on other networks. The five shows were Marblehead Manor, She's the Sheriff, You Can't Take It With You, Out of This World, and a revival of the show We Got It Made. This concept bombed. Three out of the five were canceled at the end of the season. The two that survived were She's the Sheriff, which starred Suzanne Summers and lasted one more season in weekend syndication, and Out of This World. Now, this show was popular enough to run for four seasons, and it finally went off the air in 1991. I cannot tell you that I remember it airing on Channel 4 at all back in, like, 1987, because I primarily remember it being on Channel 9 in a sitcom block that they would air on Saturday afternoons, which included The Munsters Today, as well as other shows like My Secret Identity, and they came from outer space. In fact, I think it came on after My Secret Identity, and I'll talk about that show on a later episode. But as far as Out of This World is concerned, this is considered by both the late lamented television without pity and Splitsider to be one of the worst sitcoms ever created. It did, however, make its way into an episode of Robot Chicken. The premise was that a girl named Evie Garland discovered on her 13th birthday that her always absent father is actually an alien from the planet Antarius, and Evie was conceived after her mom fell in love with that alien, and his name is Troy, by the way. The show centered around her being a half-alien girl who had powers that she was beginning to discover but also had to keep secret. Think Smallville, but with like a Saved by the Bell sitcom aesthetic. The most used and most famous power, by the way, was her ability to stop time by pressing her fingers together. Uh, This is what's parodied in Robot Chicken, by the way. A guy asks Evie out, she stops time, looks down at his pants, and says, uh, pass. Which is probably better than most of the episodes of the show, which is known for its general crappiness, as well as the fact that the mom on the show was played by Donna Pascal, who had been in Saturday Night Fever, and Troy was played by the disembodied voice of Burt Reynolds. 
Doug McClure, who had a long career in television in various westerns and other shows, and I believe has a small role in the movie, John Cusack movie Tapeheads, played Kyle Applegate, who was the mayor of the town and was kind of the dim-witted, wacky neighbor type of character. Uh, there were also a number of appearances by Richard Maul on the show because it was the late 80s and Richard Maul was often called upon for cameos and guest spots and other sitcoms. Anyway, I should note, by the way, that if you watch an old episode and you're a fan of the soap General Hospital, you'll recognize Steve Burton. He played Evie's boyfriend, Chris. I watched one episode um, I watched Evie's Driver's License, which is Season 3, Episode 6. This is an episode that I remembered from way back in the day. And I did it with the thought of, oh, this can't be as bad as they say. And yeah, I hate to say it, but it's it's not a very good show. The plot is that Evie has to learn how to drive. So it's more or less typical sitcom stuff. You know, teenager learning how to drive. We've seen that in other shows. We've seen it in movies like Clueless, I mean, there's an entire movie called License to Drive that has a whole kind of, it's based on this whole premise of failing your road test, um, or failing the written test, I'm sorry, because the road test scene in License to Drive, which features Uncle Phil, is one of the best road test scenes ever committed to any sort of film. I, it's just brilliant, and I recommend watching just that scene in License to Drive anyway. But yeah, so this is basically, Evie's got to learn how to drive. It's typical sitcom stuff, but it has a fantasy twist because she has powers. It's 80s sitcom Mad Libs, um, and that's about as nice as I can be because when I say watched the episode, I kind of barely got through the first five minutes and then I skipped ahead on YouTube. It's nearly unwatchable. And the laugh track is set to its maximum capacity, especially for the gags involving Evie wrecking her mom's car and hiding the bumper in the fridge. And then Evie confesses that she actually passed her road test because she used her powers, so then she has to take the driving test again without her powers, and that is a test given by her mother. And all this is well it ends up with a mother-daughter hug and 80s sax. So why was this appointment television for me when I was in the 5th and the 6th grade? I would probably chalk it up to the fact that I had a massive crush on Maureen Flanagan, who played Evie. Her and Stacy Mystician, who played Caitlin on Degrassi Junior High, were my first sort of big TV crushes and were both the kind of really pretty yet like accessible popular girl who you never really had a chance with but at least she'd say hi to you when she saw you anyway out of this world a pretty successful show despite its utter crappiness and not the worst show I mean that goes to a show I'll talk about later but Maureen Flanagan by the way who has had a, a career doing roles in other sitcoms. She was on um, 90210 at one point, I believe. Uh, she And she'll pop up from television from time to time. She actually was a contestant on the very first episode of an ABC reality competition show from a number of years ago called The Taste. I specifically remember that she cooked a vegetarian meal in the hopes of becoming a regular contestant. 
and Tony Bourdain was one of the judges, and she got turned down. And like I, the whole thing was, I think it was like she was like, "I'm gonna try to make Tony Bourdain like a vegetarian meal, which is not easy." Um, but she she didn't get onto the show, which is a bummer because uh, that would have been pretty cool to watch. I spotted her without having to Google who she was. I saw the name Maureen and I or Mo. I think they might have been calling her, and I I looked at her and I'm like. I think that's the girl from Out of This World, and I Googled it and confirmed it, and yes, I am proud of that because she's not. it's not listed on her IMDb page. I don't think you get listed on an IMDb page for a show like that unless you actually make it into the official cast. Now, Out of This World, moderate success in syndication land, despite its, its reputation as not being terribly good, uh, had three full seasons after its initial sitcom run of, of one season on the NBC Primetime Begins at 7.30 concept. The other show that I really want to talk about that was a really successful carryover was Charles in Charge. He's there just to take good care of me Like he's one of the family Charles in charge of our days and our nights Charles in charge of our wrongs and our rights And I see Now, Charles in Charge ran for five seasons, if you include the CBS season. And it ran for 126 episodes. The first of those seasons was on CBS, as I mentioned. It ran from 1984 to 1985. And then the other four were from 1987 to 1990 in syndication. Uh, WPIX run it specifically in New York. The show around, revolved around Scott Bayo playing Charles, a guy who was a college student, but also the caretaker for three children of the family in whose house he lives. In the first season, this is the Pembroke family, which has two boys and a girl, and the dad was played by James Widows, who was the president of the Delta House in Animal House. I think his name was Hoover? I'm not sure. Um... When the show moved to syndication in 1987, the Pembrokes were replaced by the Powells, and there were two girls, one of whom was played by Nicole Eggert. The other main actor on the show was Willie Ames, who played Charles's idiot best friend, Buddy Lembeck. And if I'm playing the It All Comes Back to Superman game, copyright Michael Bailey, I will note that Justin Whalen, the second Jimmy Olsen on Lois and Clark, played the role of Anthony in one season. Now, this one is actually a bit tough to talk about because of things that have recently come to light concerning Scott Baio. And now I'm not talking about his politics and his appearance at the 2016 Republican National Convention. I'm talking about the sexual harassment and sexual assault allegations that were made against him by both Nicole Eggert and Alexander Polinsky, who played the youngest Powell sibling, Adam. 
In Eggert's case, she claims that he began sexually abusing her when he was 14 and they had a relationship when she was 17 that she says that he initiated. Now, Bayo has denied this, saying they had a consensual relationship when Eggert was 18. Polinsky backs up Eggert's claims and has also detailed being bullied by Bayo on the show. Of course, I didn't know about this. Really, nobody knew about this back in the day. When I was 13, I watched the show twice, sometimes three times a day on PIX. But now with the knowledge of such behind-the-scenes awfulness, reruns of Charles in Charge, which really don't air in many places anymore, aren't something that I could really bring myself to watch. So I really didn't bring myself to watch one on YouTube. But I did need to cover it here because of its status in as really the biggest um, and most successful carryover sitcom in syndication. Now, I'm going to take a quick break here. And after I get back, I'm going to leave the networks completely behind. And I'm going to get to the go to the nadir of sitcom entertainment, which is the made-for-syndication original sitcom. Stick around. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations! Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You start fleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Freaks.com. You've got to learn some responsibility, young man. I want you to pick everything up again, put it back where it belongs. Then I want you to go out to the front, take the trash cans out, and rake the leaves off the lawn. Sometimes I wish I was the boss around here. Everyone's always telling me what to do. Watch Small Wonder when Jamie dreams up a new program for his parents. Good morning, boss. <laughs> Jamie finds out that one robot is good, but three robots are... Awesome. Small Wonder, Saturday at 5.30 on Fox 32. So like I said before the break, syndicated sitcoms are considered some of the most awful programs ever produced. Uh, the quality, really, they, they, they do vary from nothing special to god-awful, and they fared much worse than hour-long dramas, which are, like I said earlier, something that everybody really does seem to remember. In a way, I think, that's because of the genres that are featured in hour-long dramas. And that's something I'll get to in that episode, which is coming on later in the series. Sitcoms, on the other hand, were the bread and butter of family network television in the 1980s and 1990s. So those that made it to syndication literally were not ready for primetime. I talked about Out of This World, which was the network-produced sitcom that ended up in syndication. Uh, I talked about Charles in Charge, which also had the same fate. And I talked about a couple of revivals, What's Happening Now and The Munsters Today, which 
took a concept and did a slight tweak for the now and worked for a little while. Now what I'm going to do is talk about shows that had nothing to do with shows that ever aired on television. Were not carryover shows, but they were originally produced for the syndicated market. And I'm going to start with the best and then go down to where I will scrape the bottom of the barrel. So our first one, and probably the best of the crop that I grabbed, was called Throb. And I have to be honest here, I thought this was a show on NBC. I really thought it was a Saturday night sitcom on NBC. I remember it airing on 7.30 before the primetime comedy block. And I want to say it actually aired on Channel 4 in my market, and that's why I associate it with NBC. But according to Wikipedia... It is a syndicated show that was produced by CBS. Now, I don't know what to believe, except that I love the theme song. Jane Leaves was in it. She played the secretary at the record company where it was set. A young Paul Walker was on it. Plus, the setting was a record label, and they had this freight elevator in the office that I always thought was so cool. Uh, the show itself was very 80s, very trying to look like 80s MTV, but it was a family sitcom. So much like what's happening now, it wasn't too insane in its premise, which is where my next two are. But I will have to say that Throb got its fair share of hype here and there. I think a couple of the stars did appear on Hollywood Squares at that time point in time the john davidson hollywood squares and uh it you know like i said it's it's those who remember it at least me remember it fairly fondly um and it's not terrible i watched part of an episode but i do want to get a little more into different shows here and i am gonna skip the nightmare inducing sitcom disaster that is what a dummy uh which i think is like one of two shows that at one point or another starred lyle alzado so, um, but, and that's mainly silly because I hate the concept of ventriloquist dummies, and um, I really just do not want to, like, watch them. Uh, I think they're scarier than clowns, in my opinion. I'm going to go to the show that named this miniseries instead, and this is a show called They Came From Outer Space, which is a takeoff on an old 50s science fiction movie called It Came From Outer Space. Here's the theme song. Hey, 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 
So that sounded a lot like Devo, maybe? Or a Devo ripoff? I'm not... I don't know a ton of Devo, so I might be, like, completely wrong here. Um, but I and, I... and I looked it up. Mark Mothersbaugh had nothing to do with it. Mark Mothersbaugh has had a pretty prolific career writing television theme songs or scoring television episodes. This was written by Gary Stockdale and Marie Kane... Um, I don't know who performs it. I didn't see that on um, IMDb, but I just wanted to, to note that because it made me think of of, uh, of Mark Mothersbaugh. But the show itself starred Stuart Fracken and Dean Cameron as two alien brothers. Now, Dean Cameron, of course, I remembered as his iconic role of Chainsaw from Summer School. Stuart Fracken was this guy who kind of looks like Andrew Koenig, the late Andrew Koenig, who played Boner on Growing Pains. Uh, the concept of the show is that they were from the planet Crouton, and they were traveling through California on the search for women or something. Um, it's very much an MTV-era Mork and Mindy. Uh, these two have crazy powers and a shared interactive emotion thing where one of them would feel with the effects of the other's pain or pleasure. And of course, being that they're aliens, they're being tracked by the Air Force. This is around the time that ALF was pretty popular, so I can imagine that this got greenlit by this whatever syndicated production company that ran it because they were going to capitalize, like do like a teen-centered ALF or a cool ALF or something like that. But anyway, I watched the pilot episode. There are a number of episodes or pieces of episodes available on YouTube of this. It's goofy. It's obviously riffing on stuff like ALF and Earth, Earth Girls Are Easy. And while Fracken and Cameron are also doing a Larry and Balky are aliens thing, most of the gags are a combination of old TV and pop culture references, and their obvious ability to do goofy physical comedy is on display. There are odd sound effects, special effects gags that, well, the show aired on Channel 9 for one one season in 1990 and 1991 and um, I would have been in the eighth grade that would have been at the time where I was watching Star Trek as well as another show on Fox called Parker Lewis can't lose and both of those shows were like big in my mind and and so they came from outer space really was geared toward me in fact I remember really really liking it it's not high-quality television by any means, but I would put it on the shelf with something like Parker Lewis Can't Lose. You know, those sitcoms that tried to capture some sort of edge in the late 80s and early 1990s, which were such an odd time to be a tween anyway. Or maybe that just seemed that way to me because I had such a hard time fitting in when I was 13 and 14. Granted, tween-age years are kind of screwy. I've got a kid who's 11, so he's going to start entering that you're it's really really an awkward awkward time in your life but the thing is and I say it was like really really awkward and screwy for me because 1990 to 2001 it seemed to be where like tweens were thriving and then 1980 but 1989 to 1991 were the years where like nobody knew what to do with that idea it's like 
pop culture was going through its own awkward early adolescence at that period of time. And, and like I said, they would take about a decade to, to figure out. Um, it is actually something that I will explore further at some point. Because there are a couple of really good documentaries about it. And uh, part of Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point is about it. I mean, there's a lot that's been done about this particular demographic and the late 90s and early 2000s. But I'm not from there. I'm from the early 90s, the late 80s. And good God, it was just, it was rough. And if I sound like I'm rambling, it's because the next show I have to talk about is Small Wonder. She's a small wonder, lovely and bright and soft girls. She's a small wonder, a child unlike other girls. She's a miracle, and I grant you, she'll enchant you at your sight. She's a small wonder, and she'll make your heart She's fantastic, made of plastic, microchips here and there. She's the small wonder, brings love and laughter everywhere. There is a circle of hell where people are strapped to a chair, have their eyes pried open clockwork orange style, and they're forced to watch this show for all eternity. The premise, if you are unfamiliar with Small Wonder, is that this engineer named Ted Lawson created a robot child called a Voice Input Child Identikit, or Vicky, and it lived with the family. Now, this is not an original concept. I mean, the robot might be, but like I mentioned ALF earlier, so you've got ALF being taken in by, you know, the the father of that family, and they have to keep him a secret, and etc. That's kind of what's going on here, because many of the episodes of Small Wonder revolve around the family trying to pass Vicky off as their adopted daughter, which is complicated by the wacky neighbors almost finding out the truth on a regular basis. This series had four seasons and 96 episodes. They got 96 episodes out of this concept. Like I said, Circle in Hell. I watched Season 2, Episode 10, You Gotta Have Heart, which centers around the family watching The Wizard of Oz and a discussion afterward prompts Vicky to ask about love and having a heart, just like the Tin Man got a heart at the end of The Wizard of Oz. See where that's going? I honestly barely got through the show. It's a lot of cheesy robot powers gags. The wacky neighbor girl who is this kind of like redhead, like with really thick redhead hair and bangs that my sister had back in the day. Um, And uh, 
she's nosy, she makes bad wisecracks, and Vicky misconstrues the whole premise of having love in your heart and giving, like, in the beginning of the episode, they, they talk about how, like, they gave gifts to one another because they love each other, but she takes this way too literally, and she literally gives, like, this girl Harriet, who's the next-door neighbor, like, all her clothes, and and dresses up in Harry's clothes, and this whole thing backfires. And then you've got, like, the neighbor parents, Harriet's parents get, like, almost divorced, and Edie McClurg plays the mom of the neighbor parents. I think this is just before, like, she went over to the Hogan family. And she, I mean, granted, Edie McClurg does her best Edie McClurg all over the place. But it's an episode of all one huge misunderstanding that eventually gets resolved with a hug or, or something. And good God, I mean, the, the fashions are crazy 80s bad, like worse than Mr. Belvedere bad. And Mr. Belvedere had some bad, bad fashion. Um, And seriously, like, it's just, it's painful to watch. I don't think I got through the whole episode either. I think I just kept skipping ahead and skipping ahead and skipping ahead. So, you know, it's it's tough. And honestly, that's why this episode is so short. Because if you have to rank various syndication genres, sitcoms come in last. I started off with movies because movies airing in syndication were things that had aired elsewhere and where I discovered things. These were things that were produced for a syndication market. And, good God, the concepts were cheesy. In some cases, they were utterly ridiculous, which I know I'm talking about situation comedies here, and they have been cheesy and ridiculous going all the way back to, like, The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. But it... At best, they were attempts of varying success to cash in on nostalgia, maybe grab a trend that was happening, ape a sitcom that was successful on network television, or grab the youth market in some way, maybe poor sad sacks like me who sat at home on Saturday afternoons because, I don't know, baseball season was over and his friends weren't around and I didn't have a video game system yet. At worst, the effects of too much 80s cocaine were clearly on display as well. Seriously, though, while some may fondly remember a lot of these shows, and I know I dragged a couple of them, my apologies to anyone who really was a fan of Out of This World or Small Wonder or Charles in Charge, or still is a fan, I think that most of us may simply remember these simply existing. Maybe we don't remember them past the concept or the theme song, and if you actually sat down to watch them, you might not even get through an episode. I would say, check out an episode of each of these. You might get through a few episodes if they came from outer space. That was one of the quality ones. Throb was also pretty good, although it does kind of devolve into basic family sitcom territory, but it was pretty benign. The other two, you might not get through. It's not like you're going to start a out-of-this-world podcast, although you might. But anyway, what they did was fill a void. A void in background noise or 
something until something better came on. And that something better might be what I'm going to be talking about in my next episode, which is the genre that's had the most longevity in syndication. It's one that I'm going to refer to as infotainment. That's talk shows, news magazines, sports and entertainment shows, celebrity gossip shows, you know, anything reality nonfiction based which is really, really a big moneymaker for syndication. And I'm not going to be alone. For the first of three episodes in a row of this particular miniseries, I'm going to have Amanda with me, and we are going to sit down and talk about them. So until then, take care, and thanks for listening. our programming for today. We welcome any comments you may have regarding our programming. It Came From Syndication is located at popcultureaffidavit.com with our email at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and Twitter at popaff. Pop Culture Affidavit is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Some of today's programming has been mechanically reproduced. It Came From Syndication wishes you a pleasant good night and good morning. <laughs>